Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Family, if you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Hebrews chapter 6 this morning. Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to read 13 through verse 20. And I'm going to say this. Some of you all are new here at our church. I had to remind the 9 a.m. because they were kind of quiet. I am a brown preacher. So as, as I'm preaching today, if you see something or hear something that resonates with your spirit, I need y'all to say what? Amen. Hallelujah. Just do not say bring it home. That means I need to shut up and sit down. So I don't need that in my life. That's for you at home, too. Y'all need to be shouting, too. We're all up in the chats. Hebrews chapter 6. We've been walking through Hebrews, this, uh, this sermon series entitled, Jesus Reigns Supreme. Everybody say that. Jesus Reigns Supreme. I hope this has been good to you. Has it been a good series? Amen. Amen. I heard you, Tim. I got the claps. Thank you, brother. Hebrews chapter 6. If you got it, go ahead and stand to your feet as we read, starting in verse 13. Starting in verse 13, here now, the reading of God's word. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, He swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the place beyond the court curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Very word of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, a sure hope. Everyone say a sure hope. A sure hope. Let's pray. Father, even now, God, as I stand in your presence and preach your word, God, let it not me be speaking. But it be you speaking through me. Decrease me, Lord, so that you may increase. Father, we need to hear from you. Hide me behind your cross. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Well, growing up, I was taught that a man's word was the strongest bond or thing that he had. Anybody 
ever grow up, y'all, y'all grow up knowing that truth? Man's word is the strongest bond he has. So when you're going to do something or you say you're going to do something, then you should, you should do it, right? I remember when I was in third grade, my, my parents had gotten divorced by this time, and my father challenged my younger sister Amber and I. He said, he said look, if you get straight A's on your report card, I'm going to give each of you $100. And I said, $100. Now, some of y'all didn't go, woo, because you like, I'm balling like it's a habit out here. $100 ain't nothing. But you got to understand, in the early 90s, $100 was a lot of money, especially for a nine-year-old in third grade. $100, man, I was balling, y'all. That was, that, I was a bad guy with $100 in my pocket. And so when he said this, you already know what I did. I got to work. I, I, I studied like no other When I had homework assignments, I'm doing my homework assignment with his words in my head, $100. I'm going to get $100. I got to get this A. Uh, When I had tests coming up, I'm I'm preparing for the test, and I'm studying $100, $100. I got to get an A. I got to make this happen. When I had projects coming up, I went home, and I'm doing the best projects you've ever seen in your life because I knew I had $100 coming. I had $100 all in my head. I'm holding on to the word of my father. And you know, you know, the story goes, the, you know, the moment of truth comes and report cards, they drop. And your boy got $100. Got the straight A's. And see, the reason I worked so hard, it was, it definitely was to get some money. But it also was understanding, like underneath it was this understanding of this unfailing belief in my father's words. No matter how much he may have failed me before, I had this this belief in his word, his promise, his oath to me that he would give me $100. You see, when you look at this text today, the writer of Hebrews today simply is urging believers to do the same thing. He's saying, keep on growing, keep moving forward because of God's promise and his unfailing oath. He tells us earlier in chapter 6, he says that to leave the elementary doctrines of the faith where if you've received the goodness of Jesus Christ, not only are you saved through grace and faith in Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection, but there's also this emphasis on the believer to keep on growing. To keep going. Pastor Steve told us last week that the Christian or the believer has to grow up. He was a little more emphatic and said, grow up. You know how he starts yelling and stuff. (laughs) Whatever that step that that, that you need to take as that believer to to grow up, whether that, that may be for you, it may be, I need to start giving my money. I need to start tithing. I need to be a good steward of what God has given to me. I got to start doing this. I got to trust him with my finances. For somebody else, it may be, I need to start serving in church. Somebody else, it, it may be, I need to jump into this group. 
I need to be a part of this discipleship group. Somebody else, you may need to lead a group. You've been in a group for three years, and you haven't touched the study once. It's time for you to lead that group. It says in the, in the passage to, to keep growing in our faith and hold on to the hope you have in, the G, in Jesus until the end, as verse 11 tells us. Well, family, here's where our text comes into play. Because the question becomes, it, it, you, you start saying, Pastor D, Pastor D, I, I do want to grow. I want to grow, but what happens when life happens? What, what happens when the trials start to hit and problems start to come my way? How do I grow when I get into those spaces? How do I keep going? Better yet, why should I keep going? I ain't got time to go to church, Pastor D. My, my, my car broke down. I got to make some money. Yeah, no, no, I can't serve in church. I can't be there early. I can't even be at either one of the services because I got to work on Sunday morning. I got to make these ends, Pastor D. God's not moving as fast as I want him to in my life, and and he's not showing me what I need to do. He's not giving me answers. So you know what? I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to do my thing, and I'm, I'm going to make it happen. And hopefully one day God will get with me down the road. Family, hear me. It's in these places the worst thing we can do is turn inward to ourselves or to other places outside of God's goodness. See, these are the times where we need to look back over our own stories or even get into the scriptures and look back over the God of the whole of scripture and remember the God that we believe in, the God that we trust in, the God who can make a way out of no way, the God who is the God of the ages, the God who says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the God who never leaves you nor forsakes you. You see, the writer here is trying to let us know that we have a sure hope in Jesus. Today I got three points. Number one, God is a man of his word. God is a man of his word. Number two, preparation before fruition. Preparation before fruition. And number three, Jesus, our forerunner. Jesus, our forerunner. Our passage today, it begins by Dove telling the ends, end of verses 10 through 12 of chapter 6. In these verses, Steve told us last week that the writer is essentially saying, grow up. And hear me by way of reminder, God in saving you, his purpose in saving you, was not merely so that you can get to heaven. Not just so you can get to heaven when you die, but his purpose in saving you also was so he can use you here on this earth. He wants to use you so that when he returns, he's able to give you or hand over to you this kingdom inheritance, 
this reward of eternity and what he has for you when you see him face to face. Hear me, friend, your usefulness on this earth increases as you grow in spiritual maturity during the dash on your timeline from when you're born to when you die. You know your tombstone, you got two dates on there, the date you're born and the date you die. God wants to use you in the dash. He wants to use you in the dash. But see, some people get chapter 6, Mika, mixed up a little bit. They walk through chapter 6, and they miss the point because of the verbiage here around apostasy. They, they, they see the falling away from the faith, and they start saying, well, maybe I could lose my salvation here in verses 4 through 6. And see, what the writer is doing here, or what he does earlier in chapter 6 By using this warning of apostasy, don't miss this, he uses this as a rhetorical means to call his readers back to this place of demonstrating the faith they once demonstrated when they first came to know Jesus. Now, what does this let us know about the writer? We don't know who the writer actually is, but we do know this. By the writer saying this, this lets us know that he knows these believers. He knows their walks. He knows what they've been through, and here he is saying, I'm confident that God can do something more in you. He's up to something in you more than you just drifting away from the faith. No, no, he's got a plan for you because I've seen your prior love for Christ. I've seen your faithful service. I've seen what he's done in and through your life. How many of y'all have heard the statement, God has not brought you this far to leave you? God has not brought you this far to leave you. Essentially, that's what the writer is trying to tell them. God hasn't brought you this far to leave you. Don't give up. I need you to keep going and keep growing. The author here, he's not detailing some doctrine of apostasy or you falling away from the faith. He's calling his readers to progress towards maturity. Keep growing. Every succeeding statement promotes this goal. He is saying, keep growing up, keep serving the Lord, holding on to the hope you have in Jesus. This is where the writer is trying to take us here in this passage. And that's why he uses Abraham here in verse 13 as an example. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the beginning, to grow towards maturity and serve the Lord, it sounds really, really good when things are going well in your life. Sounds really, really good, but when things aren't going good and God's not moving like he used to, it's hard. I mean, things feel like it's dry spiritually in your life. You ever had a dry spiritual moment in your life where you just felt like, like things, I'm just not whole, things are, things are off, it's just not right right now? Anybody been there before? Just dry spiritually? Some of us are there right now. See, see, the writer, he's trying to encourage the readers at the time because most of them, they're going through some hard times. They got trials in their lives, and, and, and because of that, they're experiencing dry moments spiritually. They're not walking with the Lord that the, the way they want to, and it's all because of their circumstances. In verse 13, the author says that God made a promise to Abraham. Look back with me at this promise in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Stick with me, y'all. I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood if I'm not already there. In in verse 1 through 3 in chapter 12 of Genesis, he says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Abram at the time, go from your country 
and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here God makes a promise to Abraham. Say promise. He makes a promise to Abraham to make of him a great nation, make a great name out of him, to curse those who dishonor him at the time. Now, the text tells us that Abraham, in Hebrews, waited patiently for the promise to be fulfilled. In fact, it was 25 years between the promise and the birth of Isaac, his son. 25 years. Could you imagine waiting 25 years on a promise? 25 years. But y'all, that's not it, because then God makes an oath. Y'all follow with follow me. Verse 13 and 14 says that God made the promise. He swore by then he made a he swore by himself on the promise to multiply and bless Abraham. Look back with me at the oath. Now, everybody say oath. Genesis chapter 22, verse 16 through 17. He says, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Here's the oath. The oath or the swearing or this, this didn't come until many more years later with Abraham when he was about to sacrifice Isaac, when he's hiking up that hill with Isaac on the, and, he, and he puts him on top of the, the wood and he's about to sacrifice him. Most scholars hear this believe that Abraham and Isaac, Isaac was at least 20 years old. He was 20 years old. Jews believe that he was over 30 years old. So Abraham has to wait 25 years for a promise to get Isaac, then another 20 to 30 years to get the oath, and and now he has to kill him. God made a promise and then an oath. Some of y'all already doing the math. This is 50 years. At least 50 years with this promise and this oath that God made to him. I, I love what Tony Evans says. He says it this way. He said, God's promise it is his declaration of what he will do, and his oath is the announcement that he's ready to do it. Let me say it again. God's promise is his declaration of what he will do, and his oath is the announcement that he's ready to do it. Y'all stick with me. It took 50 or so years to get the oath. And hear this. Abraham died not seeing the oath fully fulfilled. He saw Isaac born. He saw him born, but he didn't see his name be great. He saw Isaac born, but, but, but he didn't see his people outnumber the stars or the sand on the seashore. The only thing Abraham got to see 
was Isaac born an old age? But yet, he waited patiently, believing in God. Why? Watch this. Although Abraham might not have seen all of this come to fruition, he knew something about God. He knew the character of God, and the text tells us in verse 17 through 18 that God's character is unchangeable, and by his promise and oath are two things by which he cannot lie. So what we see is that although Abraham didn't receive all that was promised to him, he stood firm in his faith, being rooted and grounded in the character of of God. Abraham waited patiently for God to fulfill his promise. Hear me, family. When we're waiting on God, when we're waiting on him to answer, when we're waiting on the promise, we have to stand firm on the character of God. The God who formed man out of the dust of the earth and blew breath into him. The God who spoke light and life into existence. The God who is just and unchangeable. The God who loves you. We got to stand firm on the unchangeable character of God. But I know, I know, I know, I know some of y'all not amening because y'all still caught up on the 50 years. Pastor, what, what, 50 years? Wait, wait a second. You tell him he had to work 25 years for a promise and then another 30 years for the old, for him to actually start doing the work that he wanted to do in Abraham? 50 years? Hear me, family. Sometimes I need y'all to listen to this. Sometimes God will promise you something or make something very clear to you, but not give it to you right away. Let me say it again because y'all missed it. Sometimes God will promise something to you or make it very clear to you, but not give it to you right away. You know why? Because he has to prepare you for the promise. There's always a period of preparation between God's promise and his oath when he's ready to do it. Y'all don't believe me, though. Let's take a look at Abraham. My my man Abraham is supposed to be the father of the faith. Hebrews 11, you get to the father of faith. That's who this is. He's leading off the great hall of faith. My man is that guy. But yet, after he gets this promise from God right there in Genesis chapter 12, you know what he does? My man, right after that, he goes into Egypt and sells his wife into Egyptian slavery because he's fearful of the Pharaoh. He was just with the almighty God giving him a promise. Now he goes and sells his wife. He doesn't do this once. He does it twice. After that, he's impatient with this promise that God gives him. And his wife's like, go ahead and you can sleep with my handmaiden Hagar. Go ahead and commit adultery. Go ahead and sleep with her and you can have a baby and we'll be good. He sleeps with Hagar, has Ishmael, father of the faith. God makes a new covenant with my man Abraham and Sarah. At the time, their names were Abram and Sarai. And what he does is he changes their name. And by him changing their names, he gives them a new identity. It's kind of like when he changed Jacob's name to Israel when he's wrestling with God. God does something when he changes their name. It's not just a name change. He's given them a new identity because he's working in them. 
Later on, my man Abraham has to go save his nephew Lot out of the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, the land that he never should have let his, 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 his nephew go in in the first place. But he has to save him out of that. And in 25 years after God already gave him the promise, now my man Abraham has, has Isaac. And, and 20 or so years later, he's, he said, go ahead and kill Isaac as a test of your faith. And hear me, when they're hiking up the hill and, and Abraham is ready to actually kill his son, this is when God is ready to do a work in him. This is when God is ready to work in him. You know why? Because Abraham is ready. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham would have killed his son. He would have took that knife and plunged it through him because he believed in the promises and the oaths of God to that extent. He said, well, if I do this, he might, he can raise him back from the dead. He's going to do something because this is the promise he gave me. But hear me, that didn't start at the beginning. I just gave you a list of all the things that Abraham did wrong. It took him 50 years to get to this point. Y'all hear me? Sometimes God has to take you through some stuff to get you to where he's taking you. And many of us, we're in that space with God right now. And you're, you're getting tired of waiting. You're getting tired of preparation. God, I'm done. You're still at that same job, and you're trusting God for more. You believe you're called to be married, but yet you're still single. You believe that you're called to have children, but yet, God has not opened your womb, and everybody around you is having these pandemic babies. Some of you, you're just trusting God for the next step. God, what do I do next? But yet, he's silent. Can I help you? Sometimes God has to work on you to get you to where he wants you. And the hard truth about this is that sometimes when you're looking at Abraham, that may take a while. And the even harder truth on top of that is that all that he wants to do through you, the true fruition of all that he wants to do through you may not even come in your lifetime, but in the line after you. Abraham didn't get to see all the things that God promised him. That didn't happen until Jesus on down the line thousands of years later. Sometimes God has to do a work in you, and we got to be patient and continue to hold fast. But family, that's tough. That's tough when you live in a world that says live for today, achieve everything today, do you make it happen today. Y'all, that ain't God's way. I, I've mentioned this before, and I got to say it again. That is the tension, hear me, of li uh, living as a Christian. We live in the tension of the now and the not yet. 
That means that some of the blessings and some of the fruit that God wants to bestow upon you, you will experience right now. But a lot of what he wants for you and the true fruition of all the gifts that he has for you won't be fully realized until we get to heaven. That's the tension we live in. And see, this is where I need you all to hear me with this. This is where we got to be careful of mixing up God's ways with the world's. See, the world sells us this reality of temporal satisfaction or or this fleeting satisfaction where, on the other hand, God is trying to prepare you for an eternal, uh, an eternity of fulfillment and satisfaction. There's a big difference between the two. And, And let me help someone out in here because I know you're thinking it. You may not be saying it out loud. We gotta be careful. We gotta be careful not to compare our lives to the lives of other people. Hear me, we got to be careful because what God is doing in someone else's life might not be what he's doing in your life. God's preparation and his fruit in somebody else's life may not be his preparation and fruit in your life. We got to be careful. Don't let that social media and your timeline take you down an endless spiral of envious envious and being covetousness of, of people else and say, I, I, I want what they have. Oh, oh, man, they just bought that nice house and I, I love their kitchen, but I'm over here. I'm still paying off student loans. You hear me? That ain't for you yet. That's theirs. God got something else for you. Seek God and be patient for what he has for you. See, patience and perseverance in our faith is key when we're waiting on God to work. Because as the text says here, he cannot lie. So hear me, it will come to pass, just not in your timing. I know, I know, I know, I know. Everybody's not amening because, say, Pastor D, that sounds good tough, but it sounds good. I, all the promises, I hear you, all the promises, and, and, and the fact that that's God's character, his oaths, all of those things, and he, he may not lie, but hold on. Why, why do I need to wait some more? I'm not, I don't want to wait. God's character, I get it, but I'm tired of being worked on. I'm tired of the preparation. I, I'm tired of working. I, I, I don't want to wait anymore. Why should I wait? Better, better yet, better yet. How am I supposed to keep waiting? I ain't got no more endurance in me. I'm done. See, the writer tells us here in the text that believers are to hold fast in their faith because of God's promise and his unfailing oath because he cannot lie. But it's almost as if you keep reading this is that the writer, he he almost knew that that wouldn't be enough. He's like, I, I'm going to tell you this truth, but I know that's not enough for you, so I'm going to give you a little bit more. And what does he do? He calls our attention to Jesus. I love it. Verse 18 and 19 of the text says that, that not only is God unable to lie, but the hope we have in the promises have been set before us. And I love the words of verse 19 through 20. Look at it with me. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Mm. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I love the imagery here. 
It says, the promises and the oaths of God are an anchor for our soul. Say anchor. It's an anchor for our soul. His character is where we find hope. Y'all know what an anchor is? It's a, an anchor is something you drop off a boat off the side and the anchor goes down into the water and it, it, it almost digs a little hole in, in, in the, in the, in, because of the weight into the dirt below and it, and it anchors the boat so the boat can't actually move anymore. It's stuck there because of the anchor in the ground. Our anchor, or should I say, our faith is anchored in the promise of God. Stay with me because the, the writer, he keeps going and he says, the hope, this hope we have has entered this place behind the curtain. Matthew 27, verse 51, when Jesus is crucified, it says as he hung on the cross and he's crucified and he died, that the veil in the temple, the veil that was before the Holy of Holies where the priest would go, it was torn in half. It was torn in half. Now, behind this veil, it was the, the holy of holies. The, the priest, as Pastor Steve walked us through it a couple weeks ago, gave you all the beautiful imagery and the pictures. But, but behind the veil was the holy of holies. The only person that could actually go behind the veil was the high priest. And the high priest went behind the veil once a year, not every day. He just went once a year to atone for the sins of the people as well as for his own because he wasn't perfect. So he had to go back there and atone for his own sins. So he would go behind the veil, meet with God, atone, bring the sacrifices for the people. The people, they would tie a rope, as Pastor Steve talked about. they tie a rope around his waist, and they put bells on. I need y'all to picture this. Bells on the rope. And they like tug-of-war type deal. They let this man walk in there behind the veil of holy and holies, and as long as the bells are ringing on it, they know he's still alive. Because when you walk into the presence of an almighty God, you might die. It's too much for our finite minds to actually compute. So when he walks in there, they want to make sure he's still alive. So if the bells stop ringing, you know what they do? They yank the priest out because they ain't about to go up in there and die too. So they pull the priest out. That's the holy of holies. This is the veil that it's talking about here. When Jesus is crucified, the veil is torn in half. This is the place only the priest could actually go. So when Jesus is crucified, what this lets us know is that through our faith in Jesus Christ, we now have access to God. Don't miss this. That's a mouthful. I, I went through a lot there. But see, the author of Hebrews is trying to let us know that our hope is found in Jesus, our high priest who has gone before us, who has died in our place, or as the text says, has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Now, some of y'all are missing your amens right now because you're missing the point here. This is very important. Jesus going before us and tearing the veil means that we all have access to God through our faith in Christ. Therefore, we ain't got to go through no priest to get to God. We don't have to bring sacrifices to God to get right with him. No, no. Jesus was the ultimate perfect priest like none before. The perfect sacrifice made to reconcile a broken people like you and me back to God. Y'all can keep on clapping. I ain't done yet. Jesus died and paid the price for our sins. And friends, that truth alone, we can pack it up and go on home because that's enough for us to stand firm on. But that ain't how the story ends. 
Y'all, the text keeps going and the writer, he keeps moving on. And I love this part because he says that Jesus was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We're going to talk more about Melchizedek next week. But what I really want y'all to take home here is that Melchizedek was a high priest before the priestly order was actually put in place with Aaron. So he was a high priest before there was an establishment of high priests. Therefore, the reference to Jesus being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek is letting us know that he's higher than the establishment of the priesthood. Y'all cannot miss this. This means that his priesthood goes before establishment, means that there is no beginning and there is no end, that his priesthood lasts forever and ever. That's good news. I'm dropping water off the stage. Thank you, brother. Hear me with all of this. Because somebody's sitting there and y'all not clapping because you're like, man, Pastor D, I get all of this. You're excited about this. But why is this important? The writer is simply trying to tell us here, just in case the character of God being not able to lie, The character of God being just, the character of God keeping his promise and his oath is not enough for you. I need you to hear me. There has been a high priest that has gone before you that has died the death that you were supposed to die. And hear me, his priesthood lasts forever, which means that his goodness never runs out. So Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I don't know if I could trust God and his promises. He's never spoken to me audibly like he did Abraham. My friend, can I let you in on a little bit more about this high priest Jesus? Can I let you in on a little bit more of who he truly is? There has never been one bone found after Jesus resurrected from the grave. The Bible and history books tell us that He was seen by more than 500 people. This Jesus died and he rose and he offers you and I eternal life if we believe. So my friend, you may not have received an audible word from God to stand on, but what you did receive is the truth of a resurrected Jesus to stand on. A high priest. A high priest who still is in heaven interceding and working on your behalf. A high priest to where God doesn't see your wrongdoing anymore, but instead he sees perfection in his son. A high priest on our behalf. So you may not have received an audible word from God, but my friend, hear me. You received the truth, and this is why we keep on going. This is why we keep growing in our faith. This is why we keep persevering. This is why we keep believing because the same Jesus that we read about in this text is one day coming back for you and I if we believe. And that's good news. So, my friend, hear me. Those of us that believe, we may not see the promised land on this side of heaven. But one day... Everybody say one day. One day. Y'all going to make me start preaching. One day we will see the promised land. If we keep on holding 
and believing in the truth we have in Jesus. Keep on holding on to Jesus. Y'all hear this. Jesus has entered the inner sanctuary of God's presence. And because Jesus has entered the inner sanctuary of God's presence, Christians now have a sure and firm anchor for their soul. Let me say that again. Because Jesus has entered the inner sanctuary of God's presence, Christians, believers, now have a firm and sure anchor for their souls. There's not a hint of wavering here in the text by the author. There's no wavering about God's will in our lives. There's no wavering about what's going to come for the dearly loved of children. Hear me. So, my friends, stay hopeful, believing in Jesus, because in him we have a sure hope. I know there's somebody that may have walked in here today and saying, that's the first time I've heard of a hope in Jesus. Romans 10.9 tells us that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts, we can be saved based on that confession. Believing that Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose for you and I. If that's your belief, if that's the confession of your heart, you too now have a sure hope in Jesus. So my friends, hear me. Let's keep going. Let's keep growing. Let's keep believing in the sure hope we have. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, God, for being the sure hope. Thank you, God, that we don't have to trust in any other trinkets or things or people, but we can trust in you, our Lord and Savior, our good, good Father. Thank you that even when we get it wrong, like we saw in Abraham's life, and we trust other things or we turn other places, you're still a gracious and forgiving father. You still love us, and you still want us to be with you. God, I praise you for making a way. Jesus, I thank you for your death, your burial, and your resurrection. God, I thank you for the folks that are here and saying, that's me. I need to put my trust in Jesus for the first time, or even the ones that are saying, I I need to come back to God. I need to run with him. I need to continue to press in, as the text tells us, because we have a sure hope. Father, I pray that that's where we would lay our heads arrest in the, the sure hope we have in you, but that will always keep us running faithfully throughout our days, too. Let it be nothing else we trust in but Christ Jesus, our cornerstone. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray all these things. And we all said together, amen, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.